Good morning. Thank you for being here today. Uh, This month we've been in a series called New Year's Promises, and the idea behind the series is basically this, that sometimes you need more than a resolution as you face a new year. Sometimes because of the challenges before you or the heartache behind you, you need more than a resolution. Sometimes you need to lean into the promises of God. And so today we're going to be looking at one of the biggest promises that God ever made us, made to us. That is the promise of heaven. Now I want to ask you a question. I need your your participation. And listen carefully to how I ask the question. How many of you have never been to Hawaii? Would you raise your hand? You've never been. All right. Most of you have never been. We've never been either. I mean, a wonderful place from what I hear, but, but here's... What I want you to do, those of you who have never been, I want you, if there's somebody nearby, you don't have to get up, but if there's somebody nearby, I want you to turn around and explain to those people what Hawaii is like. If you've never been, you explain to people what Hawaii is like. Ready, set, 30 seconds, go. Now, okay, okay, okay. For people who have never been, you did an awful lot of talking. (laughs) If you felt any kind of frustration trying to describe a place you've never been to, I want you to know that's the way I feel today trying to preach about heaven. I've never been. Trying to tell you about a place I've never been to. Nor have you ever been there. But, today's message is not just trying to describe to you how wonderful heaven is. Uh, Today, instead of doing that, I want to examine the promise that God has made that we can go there. You see, regardless of how great and grand it is, if we're not sure that we're actually going to get to go there, then it's just a dream like going one day to Hawaii. One of the Bible's greatest truths is that we are not meant just for this world. I want to make a statement that sounds contradictory, but it is absolutely true. Listen to this statement. Death is not the end of life. Think about that. Death is not the end of life. Death is the gateway to eternity. Death is the gateway to another life. Yesterday, I was watching a video that my son had shot at North Greenville. He's a student up there now, and and it was a a video where they were playing in the snow up there. And there's this great part in the video where uh, these three girls were crowded onto this sled. It's a plastic sled, and they're going down the hill, boom, boom, boom. They're just all together. Get the, the picture in your mind. All three of them kind of crowded on this little plastic sled, going down the hill together. And I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the way, for some reason, the sled stopped, but the three girls didn't. They, they just slid all on down the hill. And in unison, they all looked around like, what just happened as they slid down the hill? That's really what death is. Death is that time when your body comes to a stop 
But your spirit doesn't. It continues on forever. You see, death is not the end of life. Death is that time when all of a sudden the body stops. But you, the real you, your spirit continues to live forever. That's why Paul said it this way. In Philippians 3, you don't have to turn there, but in Philippians 3 he said, I desire to depart and be with Christ. Depart what, Paul? To depart my body. To depart this world. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's much more necessary for you, listen to what he says, but it's much more necessary that I remain in the body. Paul understood that death is not the end of life. The question is not, is there life after death? The only question is, where will you spend eternity? You see, you will either depart and spend eternity in the endless joys of heaven, or you will depart your body and spend eternity in the endless despair of hell. That's what makes the promise of heaven so wonderful. God has promised that you can go to heaven. Because there's going to be a day when the sled stops and your spirit's going to continue. And whether you believe in it or not, I'm telling you, the sled will stop and you will continue. Your spirit will continue. Whether you believe it or not, or want it or not, whether you're a God person or not, whether you believe the Bible or not, it does not matter. There will come a day when your sled stops, your body stops, and your spirit will continue to live somewhere. And it will either be in the joys of heaven or it will be in the despair of hell. And Jesus promised in the text we're going to look at today, He promised us that we can go to heaven when that day comes. You see, from one end of the Bible to the other, God assures us that we were made to live forever with Him. Listen to these verses. Uh, Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.1, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. An eternal house in heaven. But perhaps the greatest promise of all regarding heaven is the promise that Jesus made in John 14. Would you open God's word as we look at this promise made by our Lord? John 14. John 14, beginning to verse 1, Jesus is speaking and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Now this is a remarkable promise, but to really grasp what Jesus is saying, you need to understand the context in which the promise was made. This was right before the cross. Chapter 14, verse 1, gives us a hint that there's some kind of problem here, because Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. So we're wondering what is this that is troubling them? 
What's the cause? What's, what's behind all of this, this angst that they're feeling? What, what's the deal? And if you go back to chapter 13, we can walk through chapter 13 and understand why they're troubled. Chapter 13, verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So in chapter 13, verse 1, we find out that Jesus now says, now the time has come, it's time for me to leave this world and go to the Father. In other words, this occurred on his last night before the cross. It was last night before the cross, hours away from the crucifixion. Jesus was meeting with his disciples. And it was on that night, hours before the cross, that he spoke to them about the promise of heaven. Uh, And that would be plenty to look at, but there's more. Jesus also on that same night announced that one of his own followers would betray him. Chapter 13, verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Notice that. See that word troubled? Jesus was troubled that night as well. After this, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. So on this night where he is hours away from the crucifixion, on this night when he realizes that he's going to be leaving these disciples and he's hours away from the cross, he looks into the faces of these men and he says, one of you is going to betray me. And then, in addition to that, he warned Peter that he was going to deny him. He would deny Jesus. Chapter 13, verse 38. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me. Three times. He looked into the face of his friend. Peter was one of his closest followers. He looked into the face of one of his closest followers and he says to him these words, You will disown me three times tonight. But the biggest blow of all was the announcement he made to the rest of them that he was leaving. Chapter 13, verse 33. My children... I will be with you only a little longer, and you will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And when you put all of that in the pot together, then you begin to understand what he means, or what he meant when he said in chapter 14, verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. The Greek word is interesting there for troubled. It means to be disturbed. It means to be terrified. It means to be thrown into confusion. You ever had any of those times in your life? Something so discouraging happened in your life that it, it, it just disturbed you. It, it scared you. It threw you into confusion. I really like the message translation here. The message translation says, do not let this throw you. Don't let this send you into a tailspin. Don't let this crash your faith. That's the kind of things they were wrestling with. Don't let this do you you in. So, with that background, let me give you the first truth. As we're kind of walking through these three verses, the first truth is so simple and yet so profound. The first truth that we get out of this text is this. 
Life is hard. You didn't need me to tell you that. You already know that. But in a strange way, it helps to know that the followers of Jesus had disturbing, troubling times too, doesn't it? Have you ever gotten troubling news? Maybe some of you have gotten troubling news lately. And your world is just kind of crashing around you. And here's what I want you to understand today from this text. Life is hard. Uh, this has just been one of those weeks. I won't go into all of it, but just I'll give you a slice, one little slice of my week on Thursday, starting on Thursday afternoon. Thursday afternoon, I, I got word, and I won't go into all the details, but I got word about this lady in Columbia that I had never met. And, uh, and I picked up the phone and I called her. And she has a 33-year-old son-in-law who is struggling for life. Won't go into his problems and, and situations, but but basically he was in critical condition, thirty three years old. He had had surgery that day that I talked to her on Thursday. He had had surgery on Thursday. Was facing another surgery on Friday. Did not have insurance. He recently got a job, and his insurance hadn't kicked in yet. Recently married, facing additional surgeries. Perhaps would lose a limb, and if he did make it. If he did survive, uh, he's facing months in the hospital. And then she went on to tell me about the situation with her daughter. And she told me about her life and her struggles and her situation. And, and I hung up the phone and I was just overwhelmed by her problem. Just overwhelmed by all that she was going through. And, and I thought, life is hard. It's Thursday afternoon. Thursday night, I'm sitting in my home, I'm sitting in my recliner, and we get word of a young lady that Lisa and I know in another part of the state. Friends of ours, a young lady recently married that we really care about. And to give you a little history on her, not long ago, not too long ago, she miscarried after being pregnant and wanting to be a mom so badly. She miscarried, but, but God brought her through that and restored her, and, and her, her faith was strengthened. We saw them get involved in church, and we, we were so thankful for that. Recently, she got pregnant again, and on Thursday night, she found herself in the hospital again in the ER, afraid she was going to lose this baby, too. I sat there in that chair, and I thought, life is hard. It's hard for you, too, isn't it? People disappoint us. Illness and age weaken us. Tragedies and sorrows ambush us. And sometimes life's harshness comes upon us suddenly and without warning. And sometimes it stays with us for the rest of our lives. Life is hard. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Did you notice a word in that statement? I, it just kind of leapt off the page at me recently. Did you notice that? You might want to underline. Did you notice the word let? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Seems to be that Jesus is indicating your response to all of this is crucial. That your response to the hard times and the difficult days and the dark times, your response to this is important. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he follows that up with this phrase. You believe in God, believe also in me. Some translations translate it this way. Because you believe in God, also believe in me. Regardless of how you translate it, it seems to be an indication that Jesus was saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. And the antidote for this is trust. So here's the second truth that I want you to hold on. The first truth is what? Say it to me. Repeat it to me. The first truth is what? Life is hard. Here's the second truth. God is good. God is good. He can be trusted. God is good. He can be trusted. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God because He's good. He can be trusted. Now you need to understand that in a very short time, life for the disciples is going to fall apart. In a very short time for them, their world is going to collapse in chaos around them. And Jesus told those disciples that when that time comes, they should stubbornly hold on to their faith in God and their faith in Him. You can still trust Him, Jesus was saying. Life is hard, but God is good. You see, in a very real sense, the antidote for a troubled heart is to trust the heart of God. The antidote for a troubled heart is to trust the heart of God. There comes a time when we have to believe what we cannot prove. There comes a time when we have to accept what we cannot understand. And in life's darkest hours, it's not easy to hold on to our faith in God, but it is possible. I love Psalm 62 that begins this way. My soul waits in silence for Him only. From Him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. Life is hard, but God is good, and I'm going to hold on to Him. I shall not be shaken. Charles Spurgeon was a great man who knew difficulties in life. Charles Spurgeon knew what it was to lose a wife and have trials and tragedies. And Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this. He said, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And when you can't trace his hand, that's when you must learn to trust his heart. You may never know why things have happened to you the way they have happened. You may never understand or know why things happened as they have, but that's okay. What's important is not that you know why they have happened. What's important is that you know Him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. You know Him. And He is sufficient. You know Him. And He is sovereign. You know Him. And He is loving. You know Him. And He is good. Life is hard. But God is good. But then there's this third amazing truth that we finally get to in this promise. This third truth that we can hold on to. And here's the third truth. Heaven is real. 
Jesus goes on to say in verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. This is not just a theory. This is not just uh, a fairy tale. This is not make-believe. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also that you also may be where I am. Here's one of the biggest and the best promises Jesus ever made. It's the promise that you're going to get to go to heaven one day. You're going to get to go and be with me and with my father. Heaven is real. But a very honest question would be, but well, what about right now? Because right now, it seems more like hell on earth. What about now? Does the fact that I'm going to go to heaven one day, does that have anything to do with the here and now? Yes. The promise of heaven, first of all, means that we have hope. We have hope for the future and hope for our lives right now. You see, no matter what happens to you, it's, never, it's not going to last forever. It's just a season of the soul. And one day, when that sled stops, your spirit will go on to be with God in heaven. One day, when that sled stops, you don't stop. Your spirit continues to live. And when you know God is Savior, one day you're going to go to heaven. We have hope. Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. Because of the promise of heaven, we have hope. But secondly, because of the promise of heaven, we also have a home. When Jesus spoke of heaven, he said, he referred to it in this way. He referred to it as my father's house. He was referring to a home. I love the fact that he didn't just say in heaven, but he referred to it as my father's house. He said in verse 2, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, hard question. Where is he preparing this place? Just give me straight out of the text. Where is he preparing this place for us? Say it louder. In my father's house. True story. In my first church, I was preaching on on this text. and, And I got some people literally mad at me. Because. You know, in the King James... It kind of, I'm not sure, I don't remember exactly how it reads, but it kind of indicates I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land, you know. You know what I'm saying? Because we've read the King James for so long, we believe we got this big white mansion waiting for us somewhere. I told the, my first church, I'm going to use good English, I told the first church, you ain't got no mansion. I didn't really say it that way, but I was trying to get your attention. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want a mansion on the other side of the hilltop. I want to be in my father's house. Now, if you want to get mad at me, go ahead and send those somewhere, those emails somewhere. That's all right. But here's my point. It's so good. Look what he says in verse 2. In my father's house are many rooms. Many dwelling places. 
You know what, what all of that means? Forget about is it a mansion with white columns and what kind of furniture. Forget about all that stuff. In my Father's house, he says, are many rooms. There are many dwelling places. In other words, there's room for you. That's the promise. Who cares what it looks like? There's room for you. There's many rooms, many dwelling places. And he, and he says, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Bill Bright said, all of our journeys here on earth are only trails leading to our real home, which is heaven. Knowing that heaven is our real home makes it easier to pass through the tough times here on earth. Just read the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And all the tough things that God's people went through. And it says of Abraham, and he was looking forward to the city whose builder and maker was God. It was the home he was walking towards that enabled him to keep walking. You know, I've stood beside many beds of Christians who were in their last days and in their last hours. Many times over the years, I have heard them say to me, Preacher, I just want to go home. And I know when they say that, what they're talking about, they're not talking about their address. They're not talking about the home they just left before they went into the hospital or before they went into hospice. They're not talking about that little home that somebody that, that was built by human hands. They're talking about, I want to go home to my father's house. Aren't you glad we've got the promise that when that sled stops, and it's going to stop for all of us, that when that sled stops and our spirit continues on, aren't you glad for the promise that you can have the certainty that you're going to heaven? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.8, We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be, notice how he phrases it, away from the body, and at home with the Lord. We'd prefer, Paul says, if we had our choice to be away from the body. Because our spirit will one day leave our bodies at death. We'll be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, you may not know it, but tomorrow marks the 13th anniversary of the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster. February 1, 2003. The Space Shuttle Columbia broke apart while re-entering the atmosphere over Texas. Screaming through the sky, heading towards their destination in Florida. Minutes away from that landing, disaster occurred. And in a moment, six of our brightest astronaut and one Israeli astronaut were gone. The newspaper in the hometown of the space shuttle commander, his name was Rick Husband. The newspaper in his hometown said this in the headline, Amarillo Hero Called Home. You know, that's a call that every one of us will receive, and it might be as unexpectedly as it was for the shuttle crew that day. Called home. Can I ask you a personal question? When that day comes for you, when that sled stops and your spirit continues, will you spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell? Will you be going home to heaven? God promised that you can. It's a promise that He plans to keep. He's, he's promised you heaven. And Jesus tells us how we can go there. In verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. 
the thing that I like about that verse is that it, it explains in, in very clear words what's required to claim this promise of heaven. It's not about our religious heritage. It's not about how many times we were baptized. It's not about what we believe necessarily. It's about Jesus. It's not about our denomination or anything like that. It's, it's about Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way to heaven. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. If you don't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I'm pleading with you today to accept Christ as your Savior. I'm pleading with you today to turn from your sin and for the first time surrender your life to, to God so that you can have that relationship with Him and so that you can claim the promise of heaven as your home. Because I'm telling you this, one day that sled's going to stop. Your body's going to stop. But your spirit will keep living. I want you to bow with me for prayer. With your head bowed, with eyes closed, I want you to say this phrase with me. I'm going to say it one time. I'm going to ask you to say it over, repeat it again. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, would you say this? Just listen to it the first time. Life is hard, but God is good, and heaven is real. Would you say that with me? Life is hard, but God is good, heaven is real. Say it a little louder this time. Life is hard, but God is good, and heaven is real. Father, I thank you that that is absolutely true. And I pray, Lord, that we'll not let the burdens and the hardships of this life to distract us or discourage us. I pray, Father, that we will keep our eyes firmly fixed on what you have promised at the end of our journey. The promise of heaven. And I pray, dear God, that if anyone here today has yet to receive Christ as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day when they open their, their heart and invite you into their life. Thank you for the promise of heaven. Even in our darkest day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.